Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We're your hosts, David O. And Eric V. Today we are joined by our very special guest, Matt S. How are you doing, man? Doing very well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, absolutely. Where are you from, Matt? I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, in a rural area called Baltimore County, Weisherstown. Um, yeah. Go Raven. Ever play again? Yeah. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. When were you first introduced to recovery? Um, I was introduced to recovery through, well, I mean, through a therapist of mine back in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, should I just go into detail on this? Is that what you're saying? Like, and talk about, you know, it's just like I, I was seeing a, uh, uh, an addiction psychiatrist because my mm-hmm. addiction took took a uh, really uh, dark turn. I was, uh, I just had a lot of issues going on in my life at the time. And um, I tried switching doctors to a therapist that was certified supposedly in addiction therapy. So I gave him a, I gave him a shot and um, charged me $200. He prescribed me all these meds that I was currently taking with other doctor. But the one mm-hmm. thing he did tell me was that he had a stepdaughter that had like four years clean in a program called Narcotics Anonymous. Um, cool. That, yeah, so you know, that's how I was introduced to it, uh, introduced to the program. Right. And how long have you been clean? Uh, I got clean on November 15th, 2013. Awesome, man. So it's been, a, awesome. it's been uh, six and a half years. God. Time flies, dude. Time yeah, flies. I know. Yeah. All right. Crazy. Well, with all that out of the way, I'm going to turn it over to you to share your story with us. So take it away, man. All right. Um, like I said, my name is Matt. I'm an addict. And, uh, you know, it's crazy going on in these certain times right now. It's more, more important than ever to understand that, like, recovery is not only in a meeting, um, but we have these other... Um, other ways of connecting to people like this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, what else do we have? I can't go to a meeting anymore. I can share a zoom meeting. Um, it's yep. pretty popular nowadays, nowadays, but, um, what else can I do to help not only me, but other people around the world, um, that listen to this podcast? Um, you know, my story is like many others, um, the using, um, the lying, you know, the, the degradation, you know, it all started at a young age. Um, I'll talk a little bit about my past. You know, I grew up in Baltimore, mm-hmm. um, great family, never had anything, never wanted anything, never needed anything. I had everything I ever wanted. Um, I was always complacent. I was a happy kid. Um, we lived in a neighborhood. We had the kids, you know, I played outside, um, mm-hmm did sports, did all that fun stuff. And then, um, you know, things kind of changed when we ended up moving in when I was in fourth grade, um, mm. new air, new area, new environment, new friends, yep. um, new house, um, a lot of change for a, uh, a kid in fourth grade. Um, I always felt less than cause we moved because of the area we were living in was changing slowly from, you know, from, um, you know, it was just the, 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 the community was becoming a lot different. Um, I noticed that I didn't understand at the time, but I was the only white kid in my fourth grade class. I didn't think anything of it at the time. These were my friends, you know, 
I noticed yeah. over the years in that middle school that like I started becoming, you know, all my friends started moving and moving. And then when I did move, I was like, oh, this is where they're all at. They moved to this area. Um, mm-hmm. But like my very first uh, disease, uh, addiction um, started in the fifth grade uh, around the time that like Power Rangers came out. Um, it was, yeah. uh, real, I was really big into fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, new school, new environment, new friends. What was um, your favorite Power Ranger? Uh, what Tommy, color? man. Green, Green Ranger and yeah, the White Ranger. Fucking a. Green, for sure. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, anybody man. who says the anyone anyone who says Billy the Blue Ranger is a total nard and they suck. <laughs> but no, I mean, it literally, it literally became my reality because it was mm-hmm. easier for me to escape reality, come home every day after school, and focus on that instead of applying myself and like making actually making new bonds and new friends and like actually putting in effort, you know. Yeah. Um, it was easier for me and, uh, I thrived on that for years, uh, a few years in middle school. Um, you know, and as time went on, um, you know, uh, middle school was, was just like anything else. I didn't really get into drugs until I got into high school. Um, I was introduced to drinking and, and, and smoking weed through my brother and his friends in eighth grade. He was in 11th grade. I was in eighth grade. And every Friday night, his friends would come over. My dad would go out on the weekends and my mom didn't care. And we'd have crazy parties. Um, mm-hmm. And it was easier, like I said, to hang out with his friends because they were in my house. I could connect with them easier. Um, I, I noticed that I became uh, the, the brother. Like that's, that's the younger brother of this guy. Like, you know, people know me now, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. I, I, thrived, I thrived off of that, you know? Um, mm. so going into ninth grade, um, I kind of just, it was really hard for me to make connections. Like I had friends, but like, I really didn't have deep social friends, social connections until I got into the 11th grade. So we became a really big, uh, thing for me smoking weed every day. I got it from my buddy, you know, I tried it the first time, didn't like it. Um, mm-hmm. Then I got into, uh, you know, drinking every now and then. But like, I really wanted to apply myself in school. But what happened was, as time went on, I just remember, I see my brother having fun and I see him like, like I, I see what he's doing. I see he's doing these drugs, he's doing these pills. And I don't blame my brother today. I don't blame him for getting me into this stuff. Like I made my own choices. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, but like, you know, I took a pill one time, he gave it to me, you know, um, I think that's how, you know, and, and I felt good. Um, before I knew it, like, you know, my father, I didn't know this, but my dad played baseball his whole life and he was on pain meds. He had a bottle. It's just like, like Tic Tacs in his, uh, glove box full of Percocet. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very easy for me to go in his glove box and take five or six, you know, every couple of days and, you know, just to get high. Um, yeah. And, uh, that's what I did. Um, before I knew it, I was putting up my nose. Um, and like, you know, and the feelings were all there. Like that feeling of like escaping reality, that feeling of like nothing is ever going to top this feeling. Um, Oh yeah. Thrived on it. So as time went on, like, you know, um, for me, the drugs are literally 
chasing that feeling, that feeling, uh, oh, this is going to be better, this is going to be better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, remember the, I remember the day in uh, 10th grade, uh, brother came home, he's like, here, try this. I was like, what is it? Oxy cotton. Uh, I snorted oh, it. Oh, yeah. It wasn't oxy. It turned out to be heroin. Um, and oh, I, wow. fell I fell in love. I fell in love. I fell in love with a drug that, um, you know, I never knew I loved before. You know, I never loved a girl before, so I don't know how I know to love it, you know? But that's what I thought the meaning of life was at that point in my life. The meaning of life at that point when I snorted that pill was, was I'm going to become a full-time heroin addict. And I didn't know that until a few years later. Um, yeah. Because I did, because I, I, that's the thing, as an addict, I didn't, clar- I didn't classify myself as an addict at that point. Because mm-hmm. as, as we, as time went on, and I decided to, uh, I said to myself, like in the summer of 10th grade, I'm smoking heroin every day. You know, I said to myself, like, I'm going back to school in 11th grade. I need to get off of this stuff. Um, yeah. And I did my own little concoction, and, and it worked. Three and a half months, school started in September. I went off of it. I did it. I'm off. But mm-hmm. that's, that's where I am an addict is that a few months went by. <laughs> I started, you know, smoking weed again, doing my yep. dad's pills again, you know, like, doing one more of everything just to get outside of myself. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what I did. And like, you know, I blame other people for not getting into the college I wanted to get to, but I didn't apply myself into what I need to do. And that's when like, you know, my parents are very strict on me because like I never communicated with them. Communication is huge in my story, communicating how I feel, how I act. Um, and it's big today. It's a big part of how, who I am today. Cause I couldn't communicate for a very long time. Yeah. So I was always scared to stand up for myself. Um, yeah. You know, so fucked up my 11th grade year. Senior year was, uh, um, you know, was all about, uh, you know, applying myself in school, but a little bit too late. Uh, a little bit too late. Didn't get into the college I wanted to get into. Um, mm-hmm. So I decided to, uh, you know, at the end of my senior year, I, I totaled like, I got into like five accidents in my one car. Um, wow. I totaled it my senior year. I got into a really bad head on collision. Um, literally almost, I, I mean, I could have been dead. I mean, were they, uh, were they all drug related or are you a shitty driver? Uh, both, uh, you know, like nodding out, trying to snort something, like just crossing a double styled yellow and just not looking, not paying attention. Um, but yeah, I would say they all kind of classify into, 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 into drugs. I haven't mm-hmm. gotten to a car accident in, in, in over, in over nine years. So, you know, seven, eight years. So, you know, I would say it has a lot to do with the trucks. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, you know, like I, I lost a lot of the trust from my parents at this point. And like, you know, I, they understood I was a kid in high school and like, I was doing stupid shit, but they probably thought, you know, he'll get out of it. He'll stop doing this, you know? He'll be like his brother. He'll like be smart, go to college, you know. And like I said, I didn't get into the college I wanted to get into. And you know, for me, it all came full circle. My senior week, going down the senior week uh, after, mm-hmm. when I graduated college, you know, my brother gave me uh, like fourteen bags of dope to take down the senior week. Uh, we left on like a Friday or a Saturday, I believe. You know, and you're there for a week. Um, come Tuesday, I'm out. Um, I'm out. And, 
this really defined me as as somebody for a long time because I'm in a hotel room with some guys that I was close with, um, and they all saw me ill. Like they all knew what I was doing. Um, yeah. They all they all saw me at my lowest. And um, you know what do you what do you do? What do you say? Mm-hmm. Like you're like. I was just embarrassed and shamed and like, of course, nobody could get anything when we were down there. And, you know, this was like the hype of like, this is like 2003, the hype of the OC 80s. And like, they were, they were all, nobody can get anything. So like, I came back to Maryland, you know, early senior, I came like a couple of days early because I was just so, I felt like shit. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, when I came back, my brother gave me a bag of dope because he had me covered and, uh, you know, and um, I decided uh, that point on I was going to work for my father and become a full-time Allen addict. Mm. And that's what we did. My brother and I started using together. Um, his, of course, his disease progressed a little bit further than mine. Um, so he, was, he had a little bit more of a habit. And for the next, uh, you know, three three years, we were using. Um, mm. I worked for my father. He had a, he had a, uh, he had a, um, he had a, uh, uh, a store that we ran and of course we were uh, robbing him uh, every day for those three years um, taking advantage of his business fixing the books um, you know to support our habit you know yeah. we were so busy at the store that you know we were in charge and my dad trusted us and like you know we had to support ourselves and that's what we did and um, you know every year from 1980, 1990, 1998 until 2006, 2006, yeah. Uh, he would say, you know, I want to sell it, I want to sell it. And, like, finally, like, 2006 came along, and, like, I mean, this is, I mean, at the point of my progression of my of my using was, like, I, was, I didn't care if I went downtown and caught dope. Like, it was just yeah. bad. Like, I didn't care, like, where I went. Like, I used to be scared to go down there, but, like, you know, getting locked up for overnight in Baltimore City for being down there or, like, they couldn't find anything that I hit in my car so well or, like, just, like, yep. you know, just being stupid shit, like, you know, at the point, like, we can keep doing this. He's going to sell this business. What are we going to do? You know, what mm-hmm. what options do we have? And, um, I mean, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for maintenance programs. I'm grateful for people that are on maintenance. I'm grateful for people that come to the Rooms Archives Anonymous that are on Suboxone and are on Methadone because, if it wasn't for those people, I would never have gotten clean myself. Um, yep. You know, I, I mean, my, my brother and I found this drug called Suboxone in 2006. And, like, you know, we found an outpatient facility in Maryland. And, um, you know, it was so new at the time. Not many people heard about it. Um, yep. But, like, we went to this place and we got tested. And they test you for, for opiates and they test you for for uh, 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 Valium, and then they, they say, okay, come back Monday once it's out of your system. So Sunday, and we had this crazy party. We snorted all this dope, got rid of everything, you know, and Monday morning, we were sick as a dog, and we had to go up there, and you and, and took this pill, you burned your tongue, and it was like, by like Tuesday, I felt great. You know, I mm-hmm. felt great. Um, you know, so I guess what I'm saying is like, um, I felt like normal again. And yeah. as a couple of months went on, I found a doctor who was able to prescribe me this, this medicine, um, you know, pay him money for the transaction. And at the time, it felt like he was helping me, you know? Yeah. I didn't know at the time that, like, he was, like, basically a drug dealer. Um, the doctor never told me 
you know, we're going to wean you off of this in six months. He never said, you know, in a couple of years, you know, we, I want you off of this, like, you know, no taper, you know, and like literally like my disease progressed even worse because a year went by. I start going through his little drug book while I'm there and like seeing what other disorders I have. You know, what other things are yeah. wrong with me? Oh, you know, I definitely have ADD disorder. Let me look that up. Look up that before he gets in the room, they look in the book and see what, 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 what I can get. You know, I have trouble focusing. You know, or the next time I go in there and I say, oh, you know, I have, uh, you know, panic disorders and I need some Valium or Xanax, you know, and it just, you know, and like I said, so uh, the doctor never told me to do a taper and like I was, I was, I've been on, I was on Suboxone for a little over seven years. Um, mm. And like, and like, um, the amount of normalcy was there, like in that time, like I held jobs, we didn't get in too many car accidents. Um, I was on this crazy cocktail um, that when I would do any kind of social interactions or even have conversations with somebody, I, it's almost like I would hit a brick wall because I was so heavily medicated. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was very good in business. Like I was very good in business. Like I had my roller coaster ups and downs and all I needed to be was even. All I needed to be was well, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, I will say that, uh, you know, it's, it's in those seven years, like the roller coaster of emotions of, uh, the, 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 the girlfriends, the, the, uh, I mean, just all the things that I did to um, try to be normal, you know, um, but like on the inside, just so like spiritually bankrupt. Um, mm -hmm. Luckily, in two thousand eight, we were we were able. I was I was always good at a few things, and that's work um, and and developing new businesses. And we were able to mm -hmm. open a business in 2008, a printing company, which is still open today. Um, and with the help of my brother, uh, you know, like he has his path, I have mine. We were able to both figure our shits out and come together and we still butt heads every now and then. But like, I love him to death, he's my brother. I'll always be here for him, he'll always be there for me. Um, but like, you know, um, even in all the turmoil and chaos, like able to build a life, um, which I'm grateful for. I really am. Um, you know, and so as time went on, like, you know, just looking at all the things I did to myself and all the, the women I hurt, um, you know, along the way and like all the uh, continuous yeah. car accidents, the car accidents I got into and the, the, the stealing, the lying where I didn't even need to, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, 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 it takes a toll on, 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 on anybody. Um, so I'm going to fast forward. So, you know, so I'm going to fast forward to 2012. I, I, I said, I said in the very beginning that like, um, I had a girlfriend in 2008 and she had a heroin, 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 uh, addiction and mm -hmm. she put so much chaos and she took the life out of me for about a year. Um, that I, um, I just was at my breaking point, but she got help and she went to a security facility in Maryland, came back and she was like, you want to go to a meeting? And I'm like, what kind of meeting? And it was an NA meeting. So we went to this NA meeting. Ironically, it was my home group for like four years. I didn't know that at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but I refused to say I was clean. 
because I was on some, uh, excuse me, I refused to acknowledge that I was using um, because I'm on Suboxone. I've been on Suboxone for like a couple of years. I'm clean. I'm good. You know? Yeah. Uh, so like, you know, like if it wasn't for that first shot, I hope like realizing like, I remember, and in my first real meeting I went to, um, you know, I got a, I got a multiple year medallion in 2012 mm-hmm. being on the for six years. It's, that's, that's, that's the stigma. It's like, you know, keep coming back. Um, that's what worked for me, you know? Yeah. Uh, in 2012, I got some, I got in trouble with the law, uh, possession, large amounts of, uh, vast medications that weren't properly bottled medications from other country that were packaged from Pakistan that I was giving to friends and they thought I was selling it. You know, they had me on, they had me on all this stuff, you know, all these charges that like were, um, you know, and so I just had to, you know, I just had to know that I could have been facing a couple years in jail. Um, -hmm. you know, I went to a facility in 2012 to appease the courts um, and appease probation. And I was there for 12 days. Um, uh, they gave me a, a suboxone taper for five days and I was mm-hmm. freaking out on the sixth day. I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't get off of this shit. Like I was like freaking out. I was yeah. so uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable. Um, so I decided to, uh, I came back, my mom, they gave me like one milligram on like the ninth day and the 12th day and my mom came, picked me up and I decided to tell everybody and it's time because I was already going to meetings. I was already, I already had a sponsor. Um, I already had like a fellowship at the time that I was clean. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, and like, shit kind of weighs on you a little bit. You know, this honesty yep. and like the, li- the lying and like, Absolutely. But I was still using, so I didn't feel it at the time. You know, I was living in my parents' basement, and I was just living in misery, you know, and Mm -hmm. didn't have to live like that. And uh, it took me, like, nine months to, like, actually get get honest with somebody about it. But just because you get honest doesn't mean you're willing to take action and do something different. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a narcotics anonymous world convention in 2012 and I went there with my sponsor uh, in Philly and mm-hmm. with his wife and uh, you know they knew I was still using they, they could see it you know uh, yeah. sitting, there, sitting there with them and you know and we had a uh, pretty pretty good time um, I will say that uh, you know if it wasn't uh, for that experience I don't know what I would have done because I was able to see, you know, so many people in recovery happy. And I just wanted yeah. a little bit of that. I just wanted a little bit of that freedom, you know? So, um, fast forward a little bit. Um, I got honest with my sponsor, but I wasn't ready to get honest with myself. Like, what are you going to do about it? Like, you know, people yeah. always say to you, like, you know, you have two direct, two, you have two directions you can take. You can go left, you can go right. You know, when are you going to go the right way? You know, mm. um, and uh, you know, some things happened at work, some transgressions of 
you know, business, just some things that had to be cleared up. And, um, I thought it was a good opportunity to, uh, you know, kind of like take a look at my life a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I had a friend of mine who got clean in Florida, um, you know, and, um, she had like three years and she was really bad. She was worse than me. You got to remember, like I lived in a house with a brother who was on Suboxone. We both were using Suboxone. It was a spectacle. My mm-hmm. father, I didn't say this, my father, a year later, after I, we started using it, he was on pills for like 15 years. He got put on Suboxone as well. So mm-hmm. it was like this family of socially acceptable um, maintenance users. And then my mom, who loved her to death, time, she was a very big enabler. Um, mm-hmm. she just, you know, just, she, she, she just, whatever they said, it's fine, but like, I didn't want that. Anymore. You know, you know, um, actually, you know, going into a therapist and talking to her and like, you know, it's just like, when are you ready to take action? Like, when are you ready to do something different? And like, that's what I did. Like, um, I had nothing holding me back. October 24th, 2013, my, my, my dog passed away. Um, you know, you know, it was just like one of those other catalysts that like kind of left me like saying like, I think it's time to like do something different. Um, you know, as far as going, I was, so like I said, I was, I was, I was, uh, facing two years in jail. And luckily in 2012, um, I was able to uh, beat the court system and, uh, you know, stand in front of the judge and I got honest and I apologized and I said, you know, I'll go to meetings like a couple times a week, like whatever you want me to do, you know, um, you know, just let me know. And, um, you know, so she's like, no, you're not going to go to, this is what I'm going to do. You know, you're not going to meetings twice a week. You're going to meetings five days a week. Um, you're going to get a slip signed and, uh, that's what you're going to do. Um, so that's what I did. And I kept going to meetings and, um, you know, catch Power like, greater than yourself, huh? <laughs> yeah, man. Because, like, that's, it. that's <laughs> it. I didn't have a car at the time. You know, my insurance was so, the insurance points were so high, Geico kicked, off, kicked, kicked me off the, the policy. So I couldn't couldn't do that anymore. Um, you know, so it was like, what can I do now? What, what, what can I do to um, better myself? And like I said, so I was on probation for 18 months going to meetings. My mom took me to meetings like every day for about mm-hmm. a couple months, four or five months. And the first time I went to a meeting, I raised my hand and said, man, I'm an addict. I need help. I'm facing, you know, like, you know, I, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm struggling. I need to get clean. Like, I just got honest where I was at. And um, eventually, I didn't have to get my mom to get me right to meetings. Eventually, she, people would call me in the rooms and they would Hey, why don't you, Hey, let's I'll come pick you up. We'll go to a meeting. And like that, that's what I did for a long time. Um, so fast forward. So I was on probation for 18 months. Um, and, um, you know, um, and like, like I said, my dog passed away and I I met this girl I know since high school and she, she was clean. Like, I gave this thing a shot, man. I called, I called this treatment facility that she went to and, um, you know, and, um, they were like, Hey man, it was a Tuesday. And they were like, you got approved, pack a bag, uh, for five days and we'll come pick you up. And like, 
I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I got to do some stuff first. You know, like I had all these other master plans, but like the reality is I was just more excuses. And, um, you know, so we scheduled it for a Friday. It was Friday, November 15th, 2013. Um, I still had about 18 days of probation left. Um, so I had to handle that first. So I had to go to my probation officer. He had to give me a letter, uh, to leave the state of Maryland. Um, mm-hmm. Did that, and um, once I did that, uh, you know, I uh, got on a plane, man. Like for the first time, like you know, I got to the airport and I was like so scared. And I talked to my father for the first time, and like for like, geez, I don't know. I talked to him for like a long time on the phone. Never talked to him on the phone or phone before. Like an honest conversation. Like he was so scared that I was leaving, and like like leaving the house and like, like he was scared for me. Cause like it was changed. It was uncomfortable for him. You know, and I get it, but like I had to do this for me. And like, so I did this thing and I went to uh, Florida. Um, and like, you know, all I can remember is like, um, you know, <sighs> getting off the airport, getting in the limo to the shitty, fucking broke down palace treatment facility and like they took my vitals and like they asked me questions and like you know I was scared man I was really scared and they uh they told me uh you know like you're gonna be okay and you know I, I had to have faith cause like I had no friends no family no one from the program in this area no nothing here yeah. to help me and like, um, and I just remember that like, I got into my room that first night and I was so scared, dude. I just got on the floor and I prayed to God, mm-hmm. please help me. Cause I was so scared to get off these meds, man. Like I was so scared to get off the suboxone. It didn't work the first time. Why is it going to work? the second time, you know? Um, so that's what I did, man. That's what I did. And it sucked. It was uncomfortable. It was scary. Um, it was like, oh man, it was awful. But like, and they kept telling me, like, give it time, give time, time. I'm like, fuck you. Um, I shit. Um, uh, but like, I would say, I want to say, like, maybe, you know, it took about a good, I was on that shit for almost seven years, dude. Like, I, I mean, I want to say it took, like, a good nine months until I felt better. But, like, in that moment, like, I couldn't even fathom nine days. You know, yeah. I was scared. I, want, I wanted to go home for two weeks, but I called my sponsor. He told me to stay. I called my friends by the time they told me to stay. So, like, obviously, my best thinking was to get weeks. So I'm going to stay. Um, and mm-hmm. I did, and I went to the I went to the next level of the program, where my life got a little bit better. Not the feelings on the inside, not the way I felt, but like, you know, it was warm in November. It was like I never had a, a time. I never had like a, a, a Thanksgiving in, in in sunny Florida. Never. Uh, yeah. I never I never really lived with like other men in like a, in, in an apartment complex that were like looking actually looking out for my best interests who wanted to do the same thing I did they wanted to get clean and they wanted to better themselves 
you know, I thought like, you know, everybody was using and like, that's the preconceptions of like treatment. It's like you go to the next stage and you, you know, there's like bad people there, but no, it was these preconceived notions that people that were doing the wrong things would tell you. And like, things just got better. Um, I was learn. I learned how to smile again. I learned to have conversations. I learned to how to like have fun, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, and like, uh, and I see some, like, I just see so much like growth in the fact that like, you know, taking a sub, taking a, a bus just for a job. Because like at this point I was there, I was there for five and a half months, but like, you know, three months there, I was like really ready to like, you know, I wanted to stay and I had to get a job. So I, I, I humbled myself and took an MCA bus to a, a tech support job on the phone every day for about two and a half months. Um, until I was ready to like come back to reality, you know, uh-huh. the plan was never to move down there. The plan was to like better myself and then reintegrate into what I was doing prior, you know? Yeah. I had the, I had the sponsor, I had the network, I had the fellowship, I had a home group to start steps over again. Like, it's going to reintegrate that in my life. I got a job opportunity in April of 2014 and I decided to come home. When I went into treatment, I was 200 and, I don't know, 29 pounds. And when I left, I was probably like 270 pounds. Um, you know, so I gained a little weight, which is fine, you know. Um, you know, and just started diving in this thing, man. My sponsor me up at the airport, took me to my house. I got rid of all the drugs, you know, that I had. I had some probably hiding in my room, you know, and like it was a Friday night. I came home with my old home group on that Saturday and, uh, just like, you know, just like did this thing, man, did this thing and like really like tried to like live a different life. Um, mm. so, um, you know, that's where my, my recovery kind of began, man. It began with the fact that, like, keep coming back, you know. Keep coming yeah. back. It works if you put in the effort. Like, um, a lot has changed in the past seven years. Um, you know, relationships, uh, buying houses, growing a business, uh, the coronavirus, um, and how yeah. that affects our everyday life, you know. Oh, yeah. But, like, as long as I stay connected with the men in my fellowship, the men in my close circle, um, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say men and women, you know, cause that's the reality yeah. is like, you know what? Like, you know, I'm good for another day. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, today, you know, it's not about the drugs. It's not about the, uh, you know, I, it's not about like going away on a vacation because I can't re-up my Suboxone script for fucking, you know, for uh, two weeks. So I can't go to, to, to Florida for a couple of days because, you know, yep. my life is so unmanageable. Um, um, you know, it's not about that. Um, you know, what I've realized is like, you know, what it's about is like, filling the void, man. What do we do today to fill the void as an addict in yeah. recovery? Um, you know, we were talking about earlier, Dave, like playing poker. Like, what do we do today as addicts in isolation 
to stay busy. Yeah. You know? Yep. I mean, I, I, I've been working out every day, wake up in the morning, do some push-ups. I fucking run my dog. He's a crazy Siberian Husky who's got so many issues. It's not even funny. Um, <laughs> all, he wants attention. all he wants is attention. And I'm too busy giving it to my daughter. You know, like, you know, like it's like, it's finding that balance, man. Um, uh, of like, of, of what can we do as addicts in isolation? Um, and like learning how to cook. Like I go to work, like I go to work literally like, I don't know, like I go to work for maybe you know, a couple hours a day now and then I come mm-hmm. home and then my girlfriend works, you know, we have a 20 month old uh, daughter, uh, my daughter's 20 month old and she learned what a tantrum was about three weeks ago. And so like there's that, um, yep. you know, and like, you know, but I love the shit out of her, man. Like she's my life. Like, you know, yeah. my family is my life. And like, but like I said, like, what are we doing to fill the void? And like, just to, just to get one more day. Um, mm. but I think, I think we all, uh, you know, I'm going over my, uh, my eighth step on Sunday via zoom with my sponsor. That's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and, um, you know, just trying to figure out like what, uh, what it is I can do to like better myself. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, I digress. Um, recovery is a gift. It's a gift that was given to me by other addicts who came before me, um, to mm-hmm. teach me how to live. Um, um, and like, if it wasn't for, um, those addicts who came before me, who knows where I'd be. If there yeah. weren't meetings, if there weren't meetings, like, who knows if I'd even be clean right now. Right. I'm scared for the newcomer, honestly. Like, you know, it's really hard for a newcomer just to go on a, a website to find, uh, I mean, it's not, but at the same time, they get that human interaction with a newcomer to like, understand like, you're welcome. Welcome. We love you. Like, it's really hard to get that compassion from somebody when they're not in person over a new meeting to say, Hey man, listen, like, listen, like we love you. We want you to stay, but like, you know, we're on, you know, we're on a computer and we're trying to help a newcomer. So like, I don't know if I'd be able to do it right now in this time of age. I was new in recovery, trying to go to meetings, but like I'm stuck in a recovery house because we're all on lockdown and can't go to meetings. Like, you know, for me, like going to meetings, like I was trying to meet people that were better than me, that had more time than me, that had more experience than me. And like, it's hard to do that when you're stuck in a, in a, in a halfway house or, in a facility with people that are either have less time with you or telling you what to do or like on the same level as you. Like it's hard. It's hard, man. Yeah. Um, uh, so, um, you know, but, um, like I said, like, um, my life is incredible today. Um, you know, um, you know, besides the crazy dog who I love to death, my daughter, my girlfriend, she's also in recovery. She has a little over, she'll be coming on six years in September. You know, mm-hmm. um, she's also, you know, I love her to death, you know, and, and like recovery, man. It's, like I said, I brought it back to that communication because we struggle with that. We struggle with that communication and like, you know, trying to understand one another because we both have different goals and like, and meeting people halfway 
but like we both have trauma and we're both trying to navigate that through both our trauma. Um, yeah. So that's why it was important for me and her to both get outside help so that we could do this not only for us, but our daughter. Um, mm-hmm. So like, you know, cause not only, you can't always share everything in an open meeting, you know, um, it's, it's not always, uh, not always there. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, but, um, hmm, I think I said that enough. I'm going to shut up, but, uh, thanks for letting me share. Yeah, man. Definitely have some questions for you. Um, sure. all right. Um, I'll let you finish vaping. No. Um, <laughs> we learn, like, everybody says that uh, it's, recovery is, selfless, is selfish and selfless. Like, it, it's, it's a balance of both. Like, we have to get clean for ourselves, but for me personally, like, as, as my journey has continued, like, I've, I've found that, like, I stay clean for other people as well. So mm-hmm. how much, how much is your, well, how much of your recovery over the, over the last, well, now, like, well, since, since, uh, your girlfriend was pregnant until now, how much of, of your recovery and staying clean is for your daughter? Hmm. Well, I'll break it like this, right? <clears throat> so when my daughter was born, she was born in August, uh, 2018. I know that some things happened in 2018 that, you know, like they always say, keep your recovery first ahead of everything. But like for me, like I kind of took a backseat in my recovery and like she was my priority that first year, that first Mm -hmm. couple, that first, you know, because like it's new, it's different. Like, you know, like we don't have, you know, like, you know, it's like, you know, she's home with the baby. I had to go to work and then she goes back to work after three months. And then we're trying to figure out the schedule, you know, daycare, all these things like recovery kind of came to the back seat for a little bit. Um, and like, I will say like, of course, like I will do anything for that little girl. Like, but yeah, like I would say, you know, I want to teach her things that I've learned in recovery. Um, over these past seven years, values and morals and feelings. When I was a little kid, like my dad didn't really talk to me too much about his feelings, you know? Yeah. Um, my mom did a little bit, but like, um, you know, so like I want to teach her that it's okay to like talk about things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so what my dad taught me was to, you, you talk back to me, I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to make you shut down. And I don't yeah. want her to do that. I don't want her shutting down. Um, so like, it's important, man. Like it's important for me, like to show her these values and morals that I've learned, um, in recovery hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Very important. So. Awesome. What you got, Eric? All right. So I have a few things, but I'm going to start, you know, before I even go into this question for anyone who's listening, it is April right now. So when you're listening to this, um, you know, hopefully by that time, COVID-19 will have changed. But you did mention about getting, you know, not getting, but, well, yeah, getting and staying clean in isolation. And I guess, what are you doing right now? Um, you know, you mentioned a little bit like exercising and, you know, keeping your mind busy and working and, 
you know, your kid and everything, what are you doing right now for your recovery to keep, um, I guess, to keep yourself centered and adjusting to this new, like I, this new normal at the moment? Um, I will say that my girlfriend and I, she's basically my wife and whatever, but like, I would say <laughs> we, we both, we both still have somewhat of a normalcy because we both still kind of have to go to work a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily my office, I had to let go of one of my guys. Um, but back to your question. Um, so like there's some normalcy there, but like, you know, it's, different because like I'm so used to going out on Friday nights or I'm so used to going to a meeting or I'm so used to like doing these things I didn't want to do but in reality like um you know I've kind of embraced the whole recovery through Zoom thing because I, I was telling my buddy I was telling David earlier actually like I I I went to I think I went to seven meetings on Zoom in four days last week you know mm because you're able to like not you don't have to like go anywhere at seven o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night you can just you can just pop in the zoom meeting and like you're there and then once the speaker's done and you don't want to stay you can pop out nobody's gonna like you know look at you or give you a dirty look you know yeah um but so that is very important uh, I, for me the most important thing is talking to my sponsor at least once a week and when i say you know, I call him, the message, he calls me back, we talk for a good hour. Um, you know, and like, so it's the mental health that you got to keep in check because you got to realize not only addicts, but people in general, like people are going to come out of this thing, like kind of nutty because, you know, people are not going to want to leave their houses. You know, they're going to be scared for who knows how long of a time, but keeping your mental health in order. I talk to my sponsor at least once a week. I, um, I talk to uh, my, I have a therapist. I talk to, I've been FaceTiming her now, you know, every Thursday, um, you know, for an hour. So I do that. Um, talking to my girls for at least, you know, we talk and we, 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 we still do the same thing, but we've added new things into it because now she's working from home. So I try to give her that space that she needs and like, you know, or help her out with Liana. My daughter's name is Liana and like give her that time. So like I come home in the afternoon around her busy time around 12 and I keep Liana entertained for a little bit. Cause you know, her mother is what was watching our daughter. She's, you know, 70 years old and she's now staying at home. But like, um, so it's a mental health is important. Staying busy, cleaning, like, you know, like all these things that we, you know, that we would do, um, you know, are very important. So, um, yeah, man, like it's, you gotta, you gotta keep yourself busy. Mm. Mm. So, perfect. All right. So it, this isn't something you talked about, but, uh, I, I, this is something I know from your story and just life in general. Um, so about a year ago, uh, we lost a very good friend of ours. Uh, I was getting to that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say his name. We, our, our, our friend Brett, uh, OD'd and he was your sponsee, I believe. Mm-hmm. All right. So my question is, um, and like, this is for anybody out there who's, who's dealing with this or like, just, just need to hear it. Like somebody's experience with it. 
Um, how how did you handle that uh, grieving process, and and how are you still handling handling that grieving process um, with with losing not only a friend but uh, a sponsee? So you know, I didn't want to get into it when you asked me that one question about like you know staying clean for your daughter, and I was talking about how like you know I had to recover in the back burner, but like to be honest with you, like you know. Uh, Brett, uh, known him since high school and the kid has been trying to get clean for many, many years, sponsored mm-hmm. him for many, 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 um, uh, you know, just, just trying to like, you know, I don't know, like I, I, I tried to sponsor him. And like he just kept using, relapsing, and um, um, I just know that like uh, for me, the biggest thing was like trying to um, trying to help the kid, man, and he wouldn't wouldn't help himself. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, um, Brett was, uh, Brett was found, uh, dead, uh, in a friend of mine's actually, uh, uh, car and his friend, like his, he was hanging with some girl and she was found dead, like in the car and the mom came out and blew in the face and like, he came back for like a couple days, like a couple days, like just to see everybody. He met my daughter for the first time and it was sad to say it was the last time. Um, and, uh, I just remember like, you know, I, I look at those good times, but like getting back to your question, like how do I, how do I struggle with that? Or how do I grieve from that? Like, um, you know, I will say that Brett, Brett was a man of many, uh, many faces and, uh, his, mm-hmm. he impacted a lot of people in this, in this, uh, program, a lot of people, yeah. um, you know, um, so I will say that, uh, um, was the kind of person that he left an impact on me, like a really big impact. He, yeah. it really affected me. I would say about for five, six months, I was really messed up in the head. Um, yeah. I kind of, I kind of pushed myself back in meetings. I wasn't really, um, I wasn't really involved that much. Um, you know, I was, you know, gambling a lot. I, you know, still didn't have contact with my sponsor and like shared about it and shared about it and shared about it and shared about it and shared about some more. And like, and like just realized like in all honesty, David, he was in, he was in a better place, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he just, you know, and it's sad that like his memory, you know, of him a year ago, cause it was a year ago. And like, but like, you know, we, we, uh, I was at his, um, his uh his his revealing of a stone and they did, did that back in uh, on the Sunday in the fall. I don't know if you knew this, but like you know his 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 mom and 
dad invited me and Dara and we brought Liana to the stone um, for the unveiling. And they, they usually in the Jewish tradition, you wait, you wait a year, but they, they, did, they did it quick. They did it like six months. Um, mm-hmm. And it was beautiful and like, and it was really thoughtful and it was really, really nice that he did that. And, um, uh, you know, um, I think that's when I kind of, it kind of lifted, man. It was like, I, I made peace with it. Um, <clears throat> being able to like commemorate him and, and see that like he's no longer suffering. Um, yeah. Cause, uh, but man, just staying spiritually in tune, man, and just talking about it and don't let those, don't shut those feelings out and like, share about it. You know, that's, yeah. that's how it does it for me. Man. That's what does it for me. Absolutely. I'm sorry I had to ask a hard question, but no, I, it wasn't, I feel, no, I just I was I wanted to articulate the right word. No, I hear you. I got you. All right, Eric, back to you with sports. Um, well, I mean, I know you guys talked about yeah, you're a Ravens fan, so that's 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 a good start right there. Um <laughs> so uh you mentioned a little bit about kind of filling the void. And, um, you know, one of our favorite questions to ask, uh, is, you know, how, and I, I think David alluded to it a little bit and you just alluded to it as well. Um, as, and you even alluded to it right there with that, with that vaping, uh, how, uh, how are you, um, how has addiction manifested itself since you've, uh, entered recovery and how have you gone about using the steps and your program to combat those uh, manifestations? Well, when I got clean and started coming to the rooms, like I said, I, when I celebrated my first year, I was uh, 309 pounds, my heaviest. Um, and so food, food was my very first addiction. When I got clean, like all I did was eat my feelings, you know, you know, and like, and growing up, as a kid, that was my first addiction. Like my, one of my addictions as well. Like I was, I was a heavy short kid. It wasn't until high school. I started, I got a little taller and, and, and lost some weight. Um, you know, but like, um, you know, so like I, my, my very first addiction, second addiction, you know, or, or trying to fill that void was like getting right with myself. And it took, it took me until like I had my third year. Like I, you know, currently right now I'm like, you know, I lost like a hundred pounds, but it took, Mm-hmm. It took time to like spiritually and mentally do that. Um, it took a long time to say like, I want to better myself as a human being. And not only that, I'm getting, I, was, I got clean when I was 28. I'm 34 now, you know, and like, I'm not getting any younger. Um, and it's only gonna get harder as I get older. Um, so like, what can I do to like better myself long-term? Um, so like, you know, I did the diet and like, you know, eating right, gym. And like, I struggle with that today, man. Cause like, like I said, like the kid, you know, the girl, you know, responsibilities, work. When do I have time to like go to a gym? Can't go to a gym now, but like I'm saying like, you know, and I make all these excuses why I can't do it. Um, so, uh, you know, like, so there's that. Um, you know, like early on, you know, you know, like, like, you know, I would say like, you know, not everybody in the program, you can, you can live clean, but there are people in the program that live clean, that play dirty, 
Um, and I did mm-hmm. some dirty shit. I'll be honest with that. I did some dirty shit early on in my recovery. Um, you know, stealing. I had to make some amends to. Um, you know, stealing and lying and like manipulating the system, like that I had to own up to, or like gambling on sports. Um, you know, losing thousands of dollars. I had to own up to that shit and like you know and, and know that I can't even do that. You know, um, you know. Um, you know, because for me, it's like one thing after another. If it's not that, it's this. If it's not this, it's not, you know. So it's like, and I go hard with anything I do. Um, yeah. So, like, you know, I'm grateful for the fact that, like, you know, I have a child that, like, takes up a lot of my time. And then there's work, you know, which takes up a lot of my time. And understanding that, like, I don't need to be getting over on something or getting over on anybody or the system to be happy. Um, that's that's kind of, that's like another addiction that I have is like getting over, um, you know? And so I find that like for my mental health, um, you know, uh, or like fantasy football, you know, I love fantasy football. I hope we can do it again this year. You know, things like that. Like, it's just like, um, it will just be a fantasy. It won't actually be football. It'll just be fantasy football. It'll be Madden. Right. Right. Fantasy Madden. Right. <laughs> So yeah, I hope I answered your question. It's just, it's just like, what can you do to fill that void? Like, what can you do? Like, like, like for me, it's like, you know, poker. You know, I, I was playing once a week, uh, every week at a at a gentleman's club in, in Baltimore City, and like, you know, cigar lounge, and we play. And like, now it's just like, you know, can't do anything. Um, that's not true though. There's plenty of things we can do as long as you look at the positives in the situation. You know, yes, there are things you can do like do podcasts or speak at meetings on zoom or like spending time with your family and like actually like connecting with your family and like spending time with your loved ones. Like you never, you know, I was driving home from work on Monday and like, you know, like I said, like I was born in the eighties, you know, grew up in the nineties and in the nineties, you live in a development, you go outside, you play, you play, you know, you play sports, you, you know, play with your friends outside. That's what you did. And like, I have never seen this in years, but like coming home, driving home in my neighborhood, all I see is people outside, kids outside playing outside, like drawing on the chalk, like on the, on the concrete, like things that we did when we were kids. But you gotta look at the positives, like, you know what I'm saying? Like we never, you know, we didn't have phones back in the nineties. So like, this is what we did, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's, you gotta look at the positives and you gotta hope for the best, pray for, you hope for the best, you pray for the worst, you know? Yeah, I said that right. Pray for the yeah, hope for the best, pray for the yeah, pray for the hope for the best, pray for the worst, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you know. Um Yeah man, like you just gotta gotta uh um Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm the anomaly of the of the three of us. Uh, my significant other is is not in recovery, so I, I, I look to I look to both of you for uh, experience. I hope to never have because hope, hopefully she never goes down that path. Um, hmm. No, she's she's great. She won. Um, so how do you balance a relationship with a fellow recovering addict? Hmm. Recovery is is hard, man. 
it's hard with another recovering addict. Uh, I, I thought that being in a relationship with somebody in recovery is easy, but then you got to realize that they have trauma. They have shit that you know about, but they never dealt with. Um, you know, for me personally, like, you know, like she has her struggles. I have my struggles, mm-hmm. but, um, the way we were raised individually, that's a tone on, um, you know, how we are as people. Yeah, um, totally. Um, communication is tough in any relationship. Um, when you want to, when you want to be that person that is there for them, there for them what they need, but they're not giving you or they're not meeting your expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's tough, but that's any relationship, you know? Yeah. Um, and we're working through it, whether it be intimacy or, you know, what my needs and her needs, you know, cause like we've been together for almost <clears throat> six or well, five and a half years. Um, yep. and we met each other when she had, you know, 60 days clean. I, you know, I had a little over a year. And we had this common bond of we knew each other when we were in high school, you know, never knew each other like that, but we knew each other. Um, Mm -hmm. so I will say, man, like it's tough. Uh, it's tough to, uh, it's tough. Any relationship is tough, man. But if you want something to work, you just got to work at it. Um, you know, everybody has their, everybody has their process of how they do things. For me, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and I love the things about her. I love how she does these things with her job and she loves her job so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I choose to like, you know, I'm just like really into recovery and like, you know, and she's not, she's not there right now. She might be, you know, she's falling, you know, falling off. I'm just saying like work takes up a lot of her time. It takes up a lot of her time. And right yeah. now she all she has time for is work and her, and her daughter. And like, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, you know, uh, but it's a struggle, man. We have our good days. We have our bad days. But most of the time, the good days outweigh the bad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Perfect. Make sure when, once uh, you get off this podcast, you let her know that I, I love the shit out of her and I miss her. I will. All right. What you got, Aaron? I will. Is it, is it about that time? Sure. Go ahead, David. Is it? Yeah. If you, yeah. Yes. Let's see what you do this time. All right, everybody. Everybody out there listening, all our all our amazing listeners, you know what time it is. It's time to go to the Twitter. I, I kind of, I, I just hate it so much. I, I really do. I, I don't. Know I know why. you do. I, I fucking hate it. Your, your I really hatred, do. Your hatred fuels my love for it. I mean, really. Matt, that's, that's my little, that's my little game show host moment. I get to be a cheese ball kind of asshole, and Eric Eric doesn't like it. I I don't mm-hmm. like it, but you know, I'm gonna let it be. Um, though you play you placate me, Eric, and I appreciate that. Though I I could. I appreciate about you. Just just remember, David. I do have the power to remove it, so I want you to don't remember do that. that. Don't do that to me, Eric. I, just, I want you don't to remember that, that. Just think about that. 
you know, I can okay. just cut it. Okay, I'll, tell, I'll turn it down. I'll turn it down. But this is actually from Instagram, not Twitter today. Um, God damn it. <laughs> so this is from subby underscore girl, um, but spelled weird. So, uh, or spelled like, you know, you would spell it in AIM world. Uh, but, so the way okay. this works is, Matt, you'll answer the question first, then David, then myself. How do you get your family and friends to trust you again? Mm. Not through your words, through your actions. You got to show them through your actions that you've changed. I said I was going to change so many times, and every single time, like it, it wouldn't happen. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I had to, uh, you know, like show them that I had become a different person, and it was. They could see that through my action. So yeah, yeah. perfect. Um, I hundred percent just gonna mirror what Matt said. Like uh, you, you got to show through actions. But um, for me personally, uh, I couldn't. And specifically with with my oldest sister, who she didn't talk to me for several years before I got clean. And then it took me another four years of staying clean for her to even start talking to me again. So, um, for me personally, yes, actions, time, but ultimately I I couldn't push the issue. Like you have to, you as, or us as the people who fucked up, we have to take, accountability and, and responsibility for that. And they have their process too. your family, your friends, uh, they, they have their process as well. We hurt them as well. They have, they have trauma and, um, all sorts of stuff that they're dealing with on their end on how we treated them. And we have to respect that on, uh, on a very high level, especially what I'm like Matt's in this right now, like with our eighth and ninth steps, like sometimes when we go to make those amends, when they present themselves, we have to be, we, we gotta be ready for the worst case scenario. We gotta be ready for our, our, our parents or our sisters or our brothers or our friends to really rip us a new asshole for what we did to them because we earned it. Mm. Um, and, and that's something that I, I really had to be prepared for when getting back into that relationship with my sister, that she, she had every right to be angry and resentful and, and, and hurt in a number of ways. And, and she had a, a, the right to say her peace of mind and because I had earned it and, uh, luckily it didn't go that way, but, um, yeah, when trust, you gotta you gotta earn it. You gotta earn it in so many ways. That that's how you get it back. It's not gonna be given. Uh, you, you gotta earn it. I agree. What about you, Eric? Um, I'm just saying, if you if you did cut that, Eric, I think that would be a very big breach of our trust. So I'll, I'll just keep that in there. Uh, well, I mean, 
would it though? Because I, I, I straight up just, I told you I would do it. So I, I don't know how much, you know, it's not like I'm going behind your back. I'm like, Hey, I, I might do this, you know? Um, okay. okay. I, 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 I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, a sim- the simplest, you know, like Matt said, and you know, like David said, and it's just reiterating the same thing. Um, saying you're sorry after a while doesn't really mean shit. Um, yep. You know, I mean, and honestly, when you're talking about family and friends, financial amends are great, but you know, they can also be kind of empty. Um, you can't buy mm. trust. Um, so mm. it has to be through action. Uh, because I know, I know when I talk about the ninth step, uh, whenever I bring that up, you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. always bring up, you know, oh, I have to make amends to this person. I have to make amends to that person. They're always focused on the act of saying I'm sorry rather than mm-hmm. the action that comes after it. And mm-hmm. it's it's important to remember that trust isn't through words, it's through actions. And if we're if we're just yeah. focused on getting an amends isn't for us, it's for the other person to begin their healing process. So in order for them to start trusting us again, we need to start acting like the people that we're supposed to be uh, in order to yes. get that trust. So mm-hmm. it's it's really just, it's it's like, you got, like, it's the whole fucking thing, man. You always got, it's all action. If you don't fucking do anything and you don't change, um... You know, or if you just say a few words, but, you know, you don't change. Like, you're kind of saying, like, the people who go to meetings and speak spiritually but live dirty. I mean, it's all about action, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, that's that's pretty much it in the nutshell. You can't really go much further. Um, but, yeah, yeah. just uh, if you want people to trust you again, show them why. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to... Yeah, I want to expound on that just a, just a little bit. Um, I I think he, with the actions, like it has to be on on your terms. Like, do your recovery. Don't don't try and make a whole dog and pony act when when you get to your amends process or anything like that. Make it genuine. Like, be like be real. Like, let your recovery be about you getting your life back together. Not about like, uh, not about trying to get those things back from your friends and family. Like, Mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it it has to be real for you because once they see that it's real for you, then I think they'll come around. Yeah. I, I will say if I could say something real quick. Um, yeah. You know, my, my, uh, Cause I remember like I was going to meetings in like 2012 and like going to meetings. And my dad was like, when are you going to work the four step? When are you going to make these amends? Like, you know, and I'm like, telling him, <laughs> take, take time. But like, like, and I'm going to all these meetings, David and Eric, but like, you know, I'm like still using and I'm like not living uh, a, a, a life in recovery. Like I'm trying mm-hmm. to get there. So like, he didn't understand me going to all these meetings, but yes, there was the, the social aspect, there was like the making connections and I enjoyed that. And I thrived off of that when I was trying to get honest and get clean, but like 
it wasn't until I came back totally a different person, like 180 different, like you know, 180. And like, then I started going to the meetings. Then he started seeing what I was doing and like going to these meetings and he, and like, and he came, they came to my first year, no, my second year anniversary. My mom came to my first, my dad came to my second. Um, you know, and like, it wasn't until then my mom came to my third and then they moved to Florida, but like, ironically, but like, um, you know, but it wasn't until they saw me like doing these things, like then they understood, like he is a different person. Yeah. There's always that, there's always that fear of like, well, what happens if you, you know, mm-hmm. but like, there's always that fear. We all had, every family member has that fear. Um, yeah. but like, you know, but it's like, oh wow, he's changed just for today he's, he's, he's a different human being you know um so yeah 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 exactly all right well that's about all the time we have so we would like to thank our guest Matt for joining us this evening woo yeah woo woo alright Matt I'm gonna give you a, a quick second to uh talk directly to our listeners out there anybody who's struggling uh, needs to hear that message of hope. Uh, what do you have to say to them? Um, if you're struggling, just get honest. Talk to somebody about it. Um, you know, if you don't know anybody in the program, or like if you don't know anybody that is in recovery, like there's always a, a hotline number you can call to ask for help. Um, you know, just just uh, try and like, you know, talk to someone, talk to a friend. You know. Um, if, if you don't know someone, I'm sure they know someone, you know, you never know, but you got to open your mouth. Um, you got to share it. Um, but yeah, man, that's what I did. I just opened my mouth and somebody was listening. This guy answered my prayers. So. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us once again. Make sure to go on our Instagram, our Facebook, our YouTube, our Twitter. Check us out uh, for any further information, podcastrecovery.com. But most importantly, everybody out there, stay safe and stay clean.